0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special New Year's message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now, with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Let me read you something before we get going. Gotta read this. "'Twas a week after Christmas and all through the house, "'nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. <laughs> "'The cookies I nibbled, the eggnog I tasted "'at the holiday parties had gone to my waist. "'When I got on the scale, there rose such a number. "'When I walked in the store, less a walk than a lumber. "'I remember the marvelous meals I prepared, "'the gravy and sauces and beef, nicely rare, "'the wine and the rum balls, the bread and the cheese, "'and the way I'd never said, no thank you, please.' As I dressed myself in my husband's old shirt, and prepared, <laughs> and prepared, uh, y'all stop laughing because I have to read this. All right. As I dressed myself in my husband's old shirt and prepared once again to do battle with dirt, I said to myself, as only I can, "You can't spend the winter disguised as a man." <laughs> so away with the last of the sour cream dip. Get rid of the fruit cake, every cracker, every chip. Every last bit of food that I must, that I like, must be banished till all the additional pounds have vanished. I won't have a cookie, not even a lick. I'll only chew on a long celery stick. I won't have hot biscuits or corn or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore. But isn't that what January's for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year to all and to all, a good diet. (laughs) So the top five New Year's resolutions. Number five, take up a new hobby. Number four, make more money. Number three, improve relationships. Number two, New Year's resolution, people are resolving to stop smoking. None of y'all, that's the statistic. And what do you suppose the number one New Year's resolution is? Lose weight. lose weight. A woman walked into her bathroom at home, as she did. She saw her husband weighing himself on the bathroom scale and sucking in his stomach. The woman thought to herself, he thinks he's going to lose weight, weight less by sucking in his stomach. She sarcastically said, you think sucking in your stomach is going to help Her husband replied, it's the only way I can see the numbers. (laughs) I had about nine guys say amen. See, that's why we're having that thing on the Tuesday, January 9th. Y'all come on out. Fellas, come on out. We're going to work on that. Starting tomorrow, 2017, will be history. Starting tomorrow, 2018, is the future. Starting tomorrow, we'll all have, and I did the math with a friend, we'll all have 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,000 minutes, 31,536,000 seconds to live our lives. I think that kind of brings into perspective what David said in Psalm 90. I think it's right about verse 12. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe last year was tough. Last year was tough. I'm saying last year, like in, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours, it'll be last year. 2017 was tough. It was tough. Spiritually. Emotionally, physically, practically, on every level of the human existence, 2017 was tough for many of us. Maybe you didn't always do what God would have had you to do. Let me just encourage you this morning. God's not angry with you. And God is not disappointed. And God is not beating you up, and God just expects you to do things different, saints. God wants us to get up and keep fighting the good fight. Am I right about it? God wants us to keep on running the race. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I've titled this sermon, It's Not How You Start. Anybody know? But how you finish. That's so true, isn't it? My last sermon, 2017. And you know what I'm glad about? Say, what's that, pastor? Thank you for asking. I'm glad I'm still here. I'm glad I'm still standing. I'm glad that our God is faithful. Come on, put your hands together better than that. Will you do it? Oh, you know. Hebrews chapter 12, let's get to it. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 1. If you're looking at verse one, say amen. Therefore, we also, Paul says, I believe Paul, some people argue who wrote. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, underline that. Let us lay aside every what, saints, weight and sin, which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author Come on, read it with me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. The Christian life is uh, seen in many different metaphors in the Bible. The Christian life is compared to a soldier. In a battle. The Christian life is compared to a farmer sowing seed, a boxer boxing in the ring, students in a school. But probably the most common metaphor that we see in the Bible of the Christian is that of a Christian running a race, a runner running a race. The Christian life is a lifelong, grueling race. And like in any race, there are hills to climb, valleys to run through, marshy places. But if you're going to make it in this race, listen to me, if you're going to make it in this race, you've got to have self-discipline. If you're going to make it in this race, you've got to have some effort on your part. It's got to be motivation on your part. And you know, it's sad but true, but many people begin running the race, but they don't finish well made me think of um, Paul the Apostle in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, 7. Paul said, you did run well, who did hinder you? You were running great, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, but what tripped you up? Actually, it could read, you were running great, who cut you off? You were running great, but who cut you off? The writer here in chapter 12, in verse 1, go ahead and look at it again. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, there's a lot of speculation as to who this cloud of witnesses are. Who are these cloud of witnesses? Some say that the cloud of witnesses are your grandmother, your grandfather, your auntie, your uncle, who, friends, loved ones who passed away, and they're in heaven standing by cheering you on. As you are on the earth, going through this life as a Christian, and they're saying, yeah, you can make it, you can make it, come on, come on, come on, you can make it. Some say this cloud of witnesses are those people. Um, I don't think that that's, quite correct. I don't think that's the cloud of witnesses. And I hope honestly that it isn't because if my uncle and auntie is in heaven looking down on me, they're probably pretty bored in heaven. And let's just face it, we know from the book of Revelation, heaven ain't boring. Heaven's not boring. And I wouldn't want my auntie and my uncle looking down from heaven and watching me because if they're watching me, then they're taking their eyes off Jesus, and according to the scriptures, we are in heaven. With, saints, are you with me? We are in heaven with our eyes on Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus. We're, we're 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 enjoying the beauties of heaven, the glories of heaven, the walls of jasper too, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, and all of the things that we know are a part of heaven. So. Who is this great cloud of witnesses? Well, I believe this great cloud of witnesses is the testimony of Abraham, Noah, David, and the Old Testament saints. Not only the Old Testament saints, but the testimony of all the saints that have gone before. Saints like Jonathan Edwards, a theologian to the Puritans. Hudson Taylor, you know that name? China Missions. There's a guy by the name of, a minister by the name of... um, Adoram Judson, you know that name? Adaram Judson, and he brought the gospel to Burma, and he was martyred. Testimony of their lives and their faith, which encourages us. Now the question comes up as to, are they watching us and cheering us on, or are we looking to them as we're running, looking to them for encouragement, I think that we are looking to this great cloud of witnesses. Stay with me. Abraham and David and Noah and, and, and all of the saints who finished well, as well as all of the saints throughout history who finished well. We're, I believe that we're looking to them and we're running this race on this earth and we're looking at this cloud crowd. We're looking at this crowd cloud and we might see what they went through. And we look at someone like Pastor Judson who took the gospel to Burma and he was killed for it. Or we look at someone like Amy Carmichael or we look at someone like Jonathan Edwards or we look at someone like David who finished well and, and, and Abraham who finished well. He had to sacrifice, well almost sacrifice his only son. All of the things that they went through and we look at what they went through and we think what they went through, I'm going somewhere. What they went through, we can make it. Their testimony, are you still with me? Their testimony is a witness to us that what they went through, if they can make it, we can make it. We realize that every one of them finished the race, and that makes us feel like it can be done. We can run, and we can finish well. And by the way, saints, the word cloud means large multitude. It means large multitude. So we're running the race, and we look at the saints who have gone before us, and their lives are calling out as examples to us. Keep going, Christian. Keep going. Keep running. I made it, they would say. You can make it too. I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. Don't quit. The reward is worth it. And the finish line is not too much far ahead. Keep on going and finish well. This is what we have to do as Christians in 2018. You know, I got this sermon actually on Wednesday night, if you were with us on Wednesday night. And Pastor Tim taught and did a fantastic job. And and after he taught, I came up just to have a few words before we left. And, and I was talking about Wednesday, remember? I was talking about finishing well. Finishing well. And my goodness, Christians, if we could just focus on finishing well. What do you mean by finish? What do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean? Finish well. Meaning... Whenever the Lord decides to take you home, whether it's before the rapture or at the rapture, wherever he decides to take you home, you will hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't this what we all want to hear? I'll wait while you clap your hands there. Isn't that what we all want to hear finish well. And the Bible, listen to me, is replete with people. Who started well, but they didn't finish well. King Saul. Solomon, Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says Demas, who loved this present world, he didn't finish well. You know, I've been pastoring this church for 22 years, as many of you know, and I've seen people start well, but they don't finish well. They started serving God and loving God, but then they met someone. I've seen that. They came here, they were single. And when they were single, they were loving God and serving God. And they, they were loving Jesus and getting the church on time for worship. And because and, and, that's big. Getting the church on time for worship and loving the Lord. And, and they met somebody. And they stopped coming to church so much because we're dating now. And things start getting in the way. They don't finish well. Uh, they, you know, uh, you start a Bible study. Happens all the time. Men's study starts. There'll be 100 men there. Give it about three, four, five months, it's half of that. Women study, same thing. We start well, but we don't finish well. We don't finish well. And somehow we 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 get tired of serving God and we get tired of doing the same thing the same way. When in fact doing the same thing the same way is the only way for you to become the Christian man or woman that you are asking God to become. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Y'all ain't hear me. It's a long obedience in the same direction. So we start well, and then we don't finish well, or we become apathetic, and we lose their, our taste for the things of God. I'm sitting in my study yesterday. I can't get away from this. The book of Haggai, the book of Haggai, Haggai, get your pen just real quick. We'll moving. I'm going to do this. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Bible. 38 verses, 1,131 words. It's a short but powerful book. And it's a book about apathy actually. And if you know the book of Haggai, Calvary, if you've been around here, you do know. In Haggai, let me tell you, let me have your attention. Look at me, please, please, please. In Haggai, the people returned from Babylonian captivity after 70 years, and King Cyrus of Persia issued a decree allowing them to go back home and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, and it was two years later in 536 BC that the first group, there were three deportations, the first group led by Zerubbabel, 50,000 Jews packed it up and they went home. Zerubbabel was a political leader and Joshua was a spiritual leader and Haggai is a prophet and he's the first prophet to speak post captivity or post exile prophet. The post exile prophets are Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and John the Baptist. Although we go in the New Testament and we think, oh, that's, that's the New Testament. No. It's still the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and John the Baptist are the post-exile prophets. Jesus said John the Baptist was in Matthew eleven thirty-one. 31. So there in Haggai, chapter 1, look, that's your homework, okay? Chapter 1 in Haggai, the people are back in the land, and the first thing they do is build an altar, and they get back to worship. Listen, are you listening? And the second thing that they do is lay the foundation to the new temple. The people were excited and they start giving money to the building project. Everybody's excited. The priests are playing instruments when the saints go marching in. They're all excited. They sang and they danced and there's shouts of joy and celebration. But unfortunately, their neighbors, the Samaritans, didn't like the building project. And they gave them a hard time, so the people stopped working on the temple, and they left. Watch this, we're talking about apathy. And they left the things of God, and they started working on their own houses. And for the next 14 years, God's house was neglected. For the next 14 years, weeds began to grow over the temple, and it became a constant reminder to the people of their messed up priorities And they became apathetic. So after 14 years, get this, God told Haggai to tell Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people that enough is enough of you doing your own thing. Let's get down to God's business. For 14 years, the job was still unfinished. And they were saying that it's, you know, the time hasn't come to. Build the house of God. The time hasn't come to be about the things of God. And God said, really, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses and the temple lie in ruins? Chapter one, verse four, look it up in your own time. And don't misunderstand me. God isn't saying if you got a nice house. He's got a problem with that. God likes nice houses. He has a nice house. Say amen. Trust me. I read the Bible. Say amen. He has a nice house. In my father's house on so many mansions, wasn't so I wouldn't have told you. He'd been building that house for 2,000 years. Can you imagine what it looked like? God is in a nice house. God likes nice houses. I like nice houses. If you have a nice house, invite me over. Everybody likes nice houses. God did not have a problem with nice houses. God said to them, you have your nice paneled house as if you're stuck in the 70s. Remember panel houses and seven? He's not saying you they were condemned. God is trying to get them to look at their priorities. God is saying, wait a minute. You have time and money to panel your house. You got time and money to do a room addition and and, and decorate, but you have no time to do what I called you to do. You see, they were getting their priorities all messed up and making excuses for what they and why they couldn't serve God. You know, somebody once said, when you get good at making excuses, that's all you're good for. You wanna write that down. You get good at excuses, that's all you're good for. Here's a really interesting verse for you in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. Listen at this verse. The lazy man says, there is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. This was the lazy man's way of saying, hey. I can't go out and get a job because there's a big line outside, or I can't go out and get a job because somebody might call, and I might miss the call. Y'all ain't following me, are you? That's a lazy man's way of saying it. Or I can't serve in ministry because God wants me to focus on the family. I'm family first. I can't do anything for God because family first. I mean, hey, God wants me to minister to my wife and my kids. I mean, I've got to be there to minister to my family. My wife needs me to help cut the potatoes at dinner or help with the kids. Got to focus on the family. Listen, yes, we do have to focus on the family. But Christians, we have become good at putting a religious spin on spiritual apathy. I know I'm right about it. You don't have to say amen. We become really good at being apathetic concerning the things of God. Saints, listen, in 2018, don't let your priorities get out of order. Keep Christ first in everything. And don't allow your kids to get involved in sports that take them away from church. Nothing wrong with sports. Don't get me wrong. Please don't you go ahead and tell nobody, Pastor, I don't like nobody, kids in sports. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that what happens too often, kids need to be involved in sports. Let me say it that way. They need to be doing something. They need to be playing an instrument, Teach them the gazoo, uh, the, 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 the xylophone. Teach them something because they need something to occupy that mind. Otherwise, they're going to drive you crazy. Say amen, parents. And y'all going to drive me crazy. Amen they need to be involved in something but here's where the problem comes in when and it does seem a little bit spiritually timely almost that they seem to have the practices on Wednesday night when most christian churches have bible study between 6 and 8 p.m. or we got practice or we got rehearsal at that time or on sundays we got to be out of town and what happens is you begin to erode at the spiritual fabric of your family when you take them out of the things of God. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. God help me. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. I'm just saying don't allow those things to remove you from the things of God. Because your first priority and your, your, your first attention should be toward the things of God. Should be the priority of knowing God and bringing your family to God. Am I not right about it? Am I right about it? It's bringing your family to God. I know families whose sports activities preclude them from coming to church. That is very unfortunate. Now, as I said earlier, the Bible is replete with people who started well, but they didn't finish well. But listen, the Bible is also replete with people who finished well, who did finish well. There's David who committed adultery and murder, and he finished There's Job, who suffered so much, and he finished. There's John the Baptist, who was weird. Yes, and he finished. John Mark, the quitter, he finished well. Mary, the prostitute, she finished well. Rahab, the prostitute, she finished well. Stephen, who was stoned to death, he finished well. Let's bring it forward. There's William Carey, the missionary, not Pastor William Carey, like the Robert Curie boys, right? We enjoyed them Wednesday night, didn't we? We enjoyed them Wednesday night. Not Pastor William Carey, because he's still alive. Amen. But William Carey, the missionary, he finished well. Jonathan Edwards got kicked out of his church. He finished well.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Carey